Backstage on Radio Nova. So let's get started, shall we? Before I bring on my first guest, the front man of one of the biggest bands in the world, Joe Elliott of Def Leppard. Let's kick off with some music from the band. No doubt a lot of you are looking forward to seeing them play three or in tomorrow night. Let's kick off with this one. Def Leppard, an animal on Radio Nova.
Animal from Def Leppard on Radio Nova. They are co-headlining Dublin 3 Arena tomorrow night along with Whitesnake with special guests, Black Star Riders. And joining me backstage today is Joe Elliott of Def Leppard. Joe, such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for taking time to speak to me. Now, Joe... Def Leppard, you know, one of the world's best-selling artists. You've sold more than 100 million records worldwide. There's two Diamond certified albums, 1983's Pyromania, 1987's Hysteria. You're going 38 years, seven albums in the top 10, including your recent self-titled album. So how does it feel to be achieving this high level of success and to be touring today? Truth is... You know, when you've sold 100 million records, it's not like I've got the wolf banging the door down. We, we could easily have retired years ago if you wanted to and loaded it up. But, you know, it's, this is our passion. This is our vocation. We were born to do this. And I've, also, I've often said it's like, you know, plumbers, electricians, bakers, painters, whatever you want to call yourself. Why should you have to stop at the age 40 or whatever, you know, yeah. because somebody probably tells you to. You know, it's like if anything, it just makes us want to do it more, you know. Um, stubbornness of us <laughs> but you know the way that we look at it is like i think you know it, it obviously it's, it's a subjective kind of thing whether people like the new record or not but generally speaking it seems to be very well received we believe it's one of the best things we've ever done so that in itself justifies why we've kept going all this time because we've been working towards this record for many many years you know no matter what you do you, you make a record and one day it just takes off Every other record that you make that doesn't take off, you didn't spend any less effort on. They just didn't connect. Right. You know what I mean? It's like when we've done albums since Hysteria that didn't maybe sell as well, doesn't mean we didn't put the effort in. But on this record, the effort was a totally different energy. You know, it wasn't effort as in perspiration. It was a case of putting an album out um, that we didn't have any reason to release. You know, we were, we were happy enough playing these shows and all the stuff that we were doing. We were doing all various different side projects. Phil's got his Delta Deep. I've got the down and outs. Vivian's about to put out the last in line stuff. Everybody's been extremely busy and Def Leppard have been working as well. But then all of a sudden, we just got very fertile and we, <laughs> we started writing and writing and writing and mm. we had no record deal, which basically meant there was nobody saying, well, you better hurry up. You better get it delivered for Christmas or this, that and the other. We just made this album completely as an artistic statement. You know, we just got in there. We just had fun. We actually had... We had no contract. We had the first time we've made an album in 35 years that we had no... There was nobody hovering in the background. Yeah. It was just us. And then when it was finished, we, we just presented it to the world and said, right, who wants to put it out? And, and it, that way, it was... I, I, I heartily recommend every artist that's listening to me now get the chance to do this at least once in their career rather than being signed to a deal. Because even with our first album, which is probably the most free album you'll make, you know, you've been playing the songs live for 18 and 19, 20 months or whatever, and somebody spots you and you get signed. You're recording the album for a reason, because somebody asked you to sign a deal, and you need to deliver this record, and da-da-da. So, it's, you know, you're tidy with pressure. With this album, there was none. So, you know, we, we wrote from our hearts, and I think you can actually hear it in the grooves when you, when you pull the record on. Because I don't want to ask Which you. Which I can actually get on vinyl and cassette, by the way. And cassette? No way. <laughs> oh, yes, it's out on cassette, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> if anybody's still got cassette players. <laughs> oh, that's what I was just thinking. Do I even have a cassette player? Listen, Joe, 
I'll be back to you in a moment. I do want to talk to you about the gig in Three Arena tomorrow night and I also want to touch on Hysteria. But first, I'm just going to play something from Hysteria now. This is Pour Some Sugar On Me from Def Leppard on Radio Nova. Step inside, walk this way, you and me, babe.
Def Leppard and Pour Some Sugar on Me on Radio Nova. Shenanity Vorda with you and you are also backstage with Joe Elliott, frontman of Def Leppard. Now, Joe, from listening to the new material of your recent album, the self-titled album, um, it sounds like you haven't really deviated away from that real Def, Le- uh, Def Leppard sound. While some bands do go off and discover new musical territory, you guys did stick to your musical guns. And it seems like it's, you know, a proud statement of who Def Leppard are. I mean, it really is. You know, there's a lot of bands out there that they sound the same with everything they do, and that can be good and bad. You know, I mean, you take a band like ACDC, you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, which is a good thing, because they're a fantastic band. You know, you're not going to hear the phrase, and there's an acoustic ballad or a piano on an ACDC record. <laughs> no. You know, it's just never going to happen. You know, but with, say, a band like Queen, you could never, you know, when they were at their peak, you never knew what was coming next, because they could have gone in so many different directions. They could have been doing Bowman Rhapsody or Tie Your Mother Down or Love of My Life or We Are the Champions. It could have been any type of music, fast, slow, hard, soft, it didn't matter, you know. We've always had that kind of thing going for us and, and that's, that's our sound is the variety. It's like, it's, it always sounds like us when it fires up. It's going to be big drums, big choruses, massive vocal harmonies because that's what we do. Um, but on this record, not only just doing that, musically we've, we've just widened our scope a lot to soak in a lot of the stuff that influences as kids and we let it soak through and out as opposed to trying to dis- disguise it right. so when we when somebody says to us well that song there sounds a bit like another one bites the dust we go yes it does <laughs> it's supposed to <laughs> you know and another song sounds like it could have been on zeppelin three or a song could have been on sergeant pepper it's like you know well yeah because these bands are the ones that made us want to be in a band in the first place and it was seven years on from our last album, which means it was another seven years on past when Hysteria was released. So even we have been guilty in the past of forever comparing what you do to this one giant record. And so there's no wonder the media would do it. But it's that much further away from those times that the pressure to actually either avoid sounding like it or try and replicate it, what didn't even come up as an issue when we were recording this record. So the freedom that we had was just immense. It was fantastic. Oh, it sounds like it was such a ride. Amazing. And, and talking of rides, I mean, you guys obviously have had this long ride for such a long time and a lot of success, but it's not been without heartbreak, obviously. You know, Hysteria took three years to make. I can imagine that was a grueling thing. You know, you caught the... Did you catch the mumps twice as well during that time? I had him twice. I got him once during that session. By then when they were like five or whatever. Yeah. To get him second time round can, um, can be dangerous, you know. You can... In, uh, it can it can do all sorts of stuff to your body. But getting the mumps as an adult, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I, we had all sorts of things. I got mumps. Rick lost his arm during that session, which was yeah. way more critical than, yeah. than me getting mumps. Uh, yeah. Mot Lang, our producer, had a car crash, you know, oh, and he gosh. was um, he was you know he was directing the album from his home hospital bed in in in, uh, in Amsterdam for a little while. It was just crazy. He even had a keyboard brought in. Yeah, it was a gruel, but it was also a lot of fun. You know, the great thing about that album was it got us to establish, eventually when he came out, he established us as, a, as an international act, but as human beings during it, it we, we, we grew a lot, you know. Um, we, we became more um, tight because of the Rick situation when he lost his arm. And people were like, oh, well, obviously you're going to kick him out. It's like, no, in actual fact, he's like a brother. You don't kick someone out of your family because they have an accident, so... He doesn't want to be in this band anymore because he can't. Then he'll tell us, but we're not kicking him out. He's still the drummer until he tells us that he isn't, and he's still there now. So, right decision, you know. We also spend a lot of time. We do a lot of recording at Windmill Lane here. 
in Ireland, and then mm. we go and work in Whistler Studios in Holland. We did a bit of work in Paris, and we come back to Ireland. So I started kind of coming here, spending some time here, then going away and realizing how much I missed being here. <laughs> so, you know, it took three years to make that record. From a human point of view, if you like, I really enjoyed the fact that it gave me a chance to kind of bond with this country, which I eventually moved to. I wanted to ask you about that, because even, I know, obviously, you live here in Dublin, but even looking back at your history and looking at the fact that bring, bringing on the heartbreak, I was watching this last night, when the first rock videos played on MTV back in 1982, great achievement, but you filmed it in a Jacobs factory in Dublin. Do we did, yeah. It was, I can't <laughs> even remember where it is. Is it Inchicore or somewhere? <laughs> I just saw those two big towers. It yeah. was like eight degrees below freezing. Oh. Um, poor old Steve and Phil up them ladders, you know, and I was... I was shackled to some cross on a boat. It was quite <laughs> tragic, really. And it was really cold. But, yeah, we shot that video here. We shot the video for the original um, kind of British version, if you like, of the Pour Some Sugar On Me video with us, like, demolishing a building. That was the place up in Stillorgan. You know, um, it was, you know, and Tesla were, were extras in the, in the video as well. I mean, it was, you know, we've done a lot of work here. A lot of, we shot the video for Heaven Is from... Um, the Adrenalize album at Ardmore in Bray. Every album that we've recorded since, including Adrenalize onwards, has been recorded here at my studio. Ah, yeah, so the, the, the history yeah. with Ireland is, is so much more than it ever was even with Sheffield. You know, I mean, really? truth be known is we started in 77 in Sheffield, but we were gone by 81. You know, it was our, it was our kind of trajectory city, if you like. We were born there, but we were also born to move. And yeah. we've kind of been travelling ever since, but yeah, this is where I like to kind of come back to when I'm... And what, when I need to fill up with some reality. Yeah, and what is it about Ireland that you love then? What is it that lured you back time and time again? In, simply, simply put, I, I mean, it's a question that's it's too complicated to answer, but other than the pure beauty of it, it's the fact that it's a capital city of a million people and it's on the water. I was landlocked in Sheffield. Right. You know? yeah. The fact that I can see the ocean every day... No matter how cold it is, I can see it. You know, if the sky's blue, it can look, you can pretend it's summer. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, it's the fact that it's like, you know, it it's, reminds me a lot of Sheffield in the sense of its size. It's a really great city. It's very culturally savvy. Mm. You know, it, it's Cosmo. It's everything about it. You know, you can, you can get far enough out to be 100 years ago and you can get right in there and it's as dark and as dirty as any major city that you could name. And it's great to have the choice, you know. It's, it's just vibrant. How many football teams are there in Dublin? There's got to be like six or seven, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like the choice of which team, whether you're going to be a hoop or a bow, you know. I mean, there's so much going on. Yeah, You like your footy, don't you? The Blades, Sheffield United, yeah. is that it? Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're not really a football team. I think the hoops or the bows could take us right now because we're languishing mid-table in the third tier of the English soccer, which is kind of crap, let's be honest. <laughs> Have you ever no, joined? I'm not holding any hopes out for promotion this year. I'll just stick with the music, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You haven't started up any football teams in Dublin, have you, Joe? No, no, no. I play five-a-side with a bunch of guys. Sometimes I play Googie. You know, Bono's mate Googie. Oh, yeah. Play yeah. Sometimes. We used to play with uh, the late, great Tony Fenton was, was one of my posse when we, no. you know. But um, the, the older we get, the more they fall away. Well, my knees are dodgy and I can't play, so I end up playing five-a-side on my own. <laughs> which is kind of one aside but only one team and that's kind of it's, it's a bit boring after a while Joe Elliott of Def Leppard it's been a pleasure thank you so much cannot wait for this gig in 3 Arena I mean what a great lineup. White Snake Black Star Riders yeah, Black you look Star Riders to... oh. you're going to get a bit of that too so they've got two albums out you're obviously going to get a little bit of Lizzie here and there 
Yeah. And then David and the boys will, will do their thing, and then we'll come on and do our thing. It should be, um, it's going to be a great night. And I think the doors are open pretty early, so it's one of those things you get down there kind of quick, you know. It, yeah. I've got a feeling, I think, Black Star Riders are on about 6.50. Oh, like really? Seven, something like that. So it's an early start. So, you know, you don't want to miss them. Yeah, thanks for the tip. Good advice, Joe. Thank you so much. Enjoy the gig and congratulations on of an course. amazing career. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're backstage with me, Shanae Vorda. That was Joe Elliott of Def Leppard. What a legend. And joining me a little bit later on is one of the bad boys of jazz. Sid of Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. They're in the middle of a four-night stint at the Sugar Club. His band of brothers have toured and worked with the likes of Prince and Damon Albarn of Blur. I've also got Queens of the Stone Age in the live room. But next up, you'll be hearing the latest in music news, including some good news regarding one of Joe Elliott's bandmates, but also, sadly, on the passing of a grunge icon, Mr. Scott Wayland. Rest in peace, Scott. So I have lined up something from Stone Temple Pilots, which is on the way next here on Radio Nova. Backstage on Radio Nova.